7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and here in Malaysia, it's 1981. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. I never wear pants. I have thrown all my pants away. Actually, that's not true. I wore pants today earlier because I had to go to the bank, and they don't really like wearing shorts to the bank. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we're back. Hello. Welcome in. Howdy. Good to have you along for the ride. If you are uh, listening in on our podcast, Down the Road, we welcome you from uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Uh, everywhere you can find your podcast. Thank you very much for your subscriptions and your follows and your likes and your downloads. They're all very helpful. Not only that, but of course, right now, right now, we are live in uh, Facebook Live, Facebook Watch, uh, YouTube, you'll find us there, and twitch.tv. Twitch.tv, by the way, is where you will find our Miko merchandise. This is my dog, Miko, the Shiba Inu, who's a holy terror and the love of my life. Well, second love of my life. And it's got our show logo on there. You can find all kinds of merchandise over there. Twitch.tv, J. Sheldon, no pants. Check it out in the about section or something. You'll see a link to the merch. Miko, Miko merch. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we always do a weather update, don't we? Hot! There. There you go. That's your weather update. No, it's <laughs> it's actually cooled off, but the humidity has gone up. The temperature goes down, the humidity goes up. So we're still sweating bullets. Oh, yeah, by the way, while you're over at twitch.tv, you can pick up one of these very cool Miko merch t-shirts. It's got our logo, and it's got Miko on top. So you can get that too. You cannot, however, get this squeaky chair. Hear that? I've put enough WD-40 on this damn chair to float most of Tokyo. And it still squeaks. I don't know why. Who made this chair? What's that logo say? Top tuning. Top tuning, your chair squeaks. Fix it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it's been... uh... It's been one of those days. If you'd like to support the stream, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, you can do that at patreon.com slash Sheldon. There's a couple, three different tiers you can sign up for. Small amount of money you can donate to the stream to help uh, defray costs of putting this thing together. And um, at one level, you will find all of our books. We read classic books on this show at the end of the show, the last 20 minutes, half an hour. And uh, we've cut them all up into chapters, and we have just the book reading. uh, And you can get exclusive access to that if you sign up for the second tier level on uh, patreon.com. Just look for Jay Sheldon, and we really appreciate your support. Thank you so much, really. Um, Thank you. And thank you for the uh, likes and subscribes and shares. Our numbers are great. We're doing really well. And uh, for a show that just sits around and talks about the crap on the internet and my life and my dog's life. We don't do too bad, huh? For some old boomer. Yeah, speaking of my dog's life, it's time. 
Miko Update. <laughs> yeah, Miko Update. Uh, she, <laughs> she is uh, very happy because now she can go out and go for her walks, which she hadn't been able to do for a couple of weeks. And um, she t- she's gotten fat. She's up to 10.3 kilos, something like that. And normal for a female Shiba Inu, their max is maybe nine kilos. And you can see, I'll see if I can, Miko, you want to come in or you got an attitude tonight? She had a little attitude lately. It's been very hot. So, you know, she's got that double coat. So I think that's part of the problem. But um, she's doing well otherwise. She's getting fat. She's as obnoxious as ever. They're very strong-willed, these dogs. Shiba Inus will do what they want when they want to. And I saw <laughs> somebody posted today. I saw it on, on uh, Facebook. Um, whenever this happens with her all the time, whenever we're eating at the table, and I've got a big, tall, long dining room table, um, she sits down there and looks up at us <laughs> with these literally puppy dog eyes waiting for us to feed her. Now, to be fair... We made the mistake of feeding her from the table. I know, I know, but if you see her, you'll know why we can't resist. So there are, there's so many things she can't eat because she's got kind of a sensitive stomach. We've had her in hospital a couple times because she got a hold of stuff she shouldn't have. So um, there are some times where there's just nothing we're eating she can have. If there is, we'll save a little bit aside for her and feed her after we're done. But a lot of times we get up from uh, from the table and there's nothing for her and we have to go like this. And she understands this means nothing. There's nothing for you. But somebody posted today, uh, how many of us, and hand raised, guilty here, how many of us do the empty hand routine like the blackjack dealers at the casino? <laughs> That's... <laughs> That is exactly right. I don't know if you've never been to a casino, you wouldn't know. But whenever like a Baccarat table or blackjack or poker, when they're dealing the money or the chips, when they're done putting the chips in front of you or out of the table or handling them in any way, they always go like this, which is basically showing their hands, mostly to the security cameras, that they're empty and they don't have they're not sneaking chips. But we do the same thing with our dog all the time. We go like this. See? Nothing. Go away. And then we go get her a snack anyway. So, <laughs> But yeah, that's, um, that is very much the Miko stuff. The, the whole empty hand casino dealer. The blackjack dealer hand. So, yeah. Otherwise, she's doing well. and she's The reason she's ignoring me right now, I think, is because she's sleeping in the air con in the other room. So, uh, yeah. That's... Uh, that's likely why she's not poking her head in here. If I had a snack, however, that would be a different story. Huh. All right. Uh, what else have we got going on here? We've got... Oh, oh, oh. I want to... We, we plugged it in our thumbnail tonight. Later tonight, in just, just a little while, we have the real Olympics. Now, look, I know the Olympics are going on, but that's the, you know, the 2020 Olympics in 2021. They're in Tokyo. I have the real Olympics tonight. Wait, you just wait. It'll be worth the wait. Coming up in a little bit, the real Olympics. 
We want to start off by sending out a huge congratulations, a huge congratulations to my friend Tan Che Ding. Tan Che Ding is a director, filmmaker from Malaysia, and uh, he had an incredible amount of luck in the uh, BMW shorties. If you're not from Malaysia, you likely don't know what that is. Here we have a yearly film festival. It's sponsored by BMW, the car maker, and uh, they do uh, a shorties film festival. Uh, there's all kinds of rules. You only have a limited amount of time to, to create the film. There's a topic you have to follow, and you don't know what that is till very close to the time when you have to shoot. Uh, it's a nice challenge, and there have been some amazing films uh, come out of the BMW shorties. And some have had a bit of success, like this guy. <laughs> he posted this a, a few days ago, uh, Tan Che Ding. I'm so excited to share that the Hollywood, this is a public post, by the way, so I'm not, no state secrets are being uh, released here. Uh, Hollywood powerhouse Miramax Studio and Gunpowder in Sky have acquired the rights to develop his little film, The Masseuse, short film into a feature film. Uh, he won't be directing it. He says he can't wait to see how far this will go. And he hashtagged, still pinching myself. Well, I'm telling you, Tan, congratulations, because that is absolutely amazing. Here is the story from Variety. It was covered in Variety, Miramax, and Gunpowder in Skies, Dust Team Up for sci-fi thriller, The Masseuse. And uh, an article in Variety written by Haley Bosselman. There you'll see uh, the, uh, the logo for the film. And um, it's uh, one of the guys from the production company Gunpowder and Sky, oh, Van Toffler. We're fired up that Bill Block and the Merrimax team have recognized the wealth of emerging IP and underrepresentative filmmaking talent lying within Dust's ecosystem. Uh, Miramax was our dream partner for the project. They believe unique and diverse stories like the masseuse are the future of sci-fi storytelling, and we can't wait to get this one told. How exciting is that? Um, the feature is based on a short film written and directed by Malaysia's own Tan Che Ding, released on the Dust Channel in 2019. If you want to read the whole story, you go over to Variety and you can check it out there. But uh, once again, like I said, a huge congratulations. Well deserved. That is, uh, that's fantastic. Unbelievable. Wow. Very nice. Some good news for some Malaysians and a friend of mine too and to boot. So uh, good news. Very, very happy. Could not be happier for you. Hey, saw this today. This is from the Weirdo Files. Well, not that weird, but weird enough. Actually kind of cool weird. These are, they're called a lifetime portrayed in one picture. And you'll see this is a display at an art gallery. And this is from Facebook Watch, by the way. It comes to us from Serg Candenas. Check this out. I've paused the picture, but take a look at what happens when the camera scans across the front of this piece of artwork. 
Okay, watch. They're not doing anything. It's just moving the camera. And watch what happens. If you were listening on the podcast, sorry, this is a visual. Go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. You can see the show. Look at that. Look at that. From a young person, here's a young man, maybe in his 20s. And then you scan from left to right. And by the time you get all, look at that, all the way over to the right, he's aged. And that's just, you would see this live if you were in the art gallery. Check this out. As they move the camera from left to right. Whoa. I missed the beginning of that, but did that person actually change race too? I couldn't tell. Okay, we don't want to see Jen Psaki. <laughs> Idiot. Uh, anyway, cool as hell, isn't it? That was absolutely amazing. And that is, uh, that's all just a, p a painting, a piece of art, which I assume has some sort of dimensional lines in it, which allow it to change as you go across the front of the picture. Wow. Incredible. Absolutely amazing. Coffee break time. Hang on. Mmm, the pause that refreshes. Hey, don't forget too, by the way, speaking of breaks, we have a new uh, playlist on Facebook. Watch. I expect it will be on YouTube also soon, but uh, we've taken little segments of our show and cut them up into they're anywhere from one minute long to maybe three or four minutes long little bits and things that we've done throughout the past what 92 shows now uh yeah 92 shows and um you can you can check them out individually they all have uh, descriptions labels titles for what it is about uh the one i have not yet put up is probably the funniest segment i ever did on in all 92 episodes it was called japanese fart battles you got to see that. It cracked me up. I know you're not supposed to laugh at your own stuff, but this wasn't my own stuff. It was just too funny. So watch for that one. Subscribe and follow the uh, I'm Not Wearing Pants shorts is what the playlist is called. So you find it there and just follow the playlist. You'll get notified whenever we upload. And we'll be there's tons more stuff to come. So we'll be shoving stuff into that playlist for quite a while now. Hey, we all love a winner. We all love a winner. We love when we win, when we win the medals, when we get the gold. Um, but we need to consider what these athletes go through, how they train, how they spend a lifetime devoted to their individual sports and the kind of commitment and tears, and pain, and sometimes heartbreak these athletes go through, and just simply the accomplishment of qualifying for the Olympics is a hell of an accomplishment. And we owe these guys who represent our countries from around the world uh, a debt of gratitude and a congratulations for getting as far as they have. Sadly, we live in a society, not just Malaysia, but a lot of places, that only wants to cheer on the winners. And the Malaysian athletes have done well, not super well, but well in representing the country. Go Malaysia. And uh, people online, the idiots, the morons, as I always say, 
shut up and sit down, have been making snotty comments about them. Well, one of our own champions, Lee Chong-Wei, if I'm not mistaken now, it's Dr. Lee Chong-Wei, says, no athletes want to lose. Lee Chong-Wei is appalled by the comments abusing the Malaysian athletes after defeat at the Olympics. And let me just call BS right off the top. And thank you to Lee Chong-Wei for calling out these idiots that make these ridiculous, stupid comments without thinking about the blood, sweat, and tears that these athletes have put in, even just to qualify to get there. And they are doing their best, trust me. The Tokyo 2020 Olympics is an event that many have been looking forward to for the last five years. This is from World of Buzz, by the way. Thank you, World of Buzz. Um, especially athletes around the world. 30 athletes selected to represent Malaysia. We certainly look forward to their performance. And among the Malaysian representatives are mixed pair for badminton, uh, Go Liu Ying and Chan Peng Soon. Sadly, in the recent game against Hong Kong and German teams, they lost. Many Malaysian fans, although you really shouldn't call yourself a fan, you should call yourself an idiot, were devastated and voiced out their dissatisfaction towards the athletes, saying stupid things like pattern more than badminton, uh, blah, blah, stable, good way, you really perform badly, mistakes made a lot. So we apologize for the less than satisfactory match and results. We also want to win the game, and we've been training for so long for these Olympics. So... Uh, Go Liu Ying, it's okay. Continue to work hard. If we win, we win together. If we lose, we lose together. Um, please don't belittle my efforts. Uh, going up against Germany, I just calmed down. I know a loss is a loss. The opponent won't go easy on you, even if they know you have sustained injuries. People won't be considerate after you've lost the match. Dr. Uh, Li Chong Wei our own champion, uh, stands with the athletes. And in a Facebook post, he stood with both uh, Go Liu Ying and Chan Peng Sun. I am dismayed by the number of comments online which are abusing our badminton players when they lost. As a former teammate, I felt so much for them. I want to say that I know these players, and they went to court with only one aim and one goal, which is to win the game for Malaysia to make us proud. No athlete wants to lose, but that is the reality in every match, in every game. There will be a person who will win and a person who will lose. And sometimes it's just not your day. Support them. Support Malaysia. Win or lose. Kita Jaga Kita. Thank you, Dr. Li Chong Wei. Yes. Well said. Well said. And to the losers who made those comments, go away. We don't care. Now, onward and upward 
we promised you tonight the real Olympics. And here they are. What would it look like if everyday people, you and me, or here's another thing based on that last story we just did. What would it look like if you losers who were making the snotty comments about our team were playing in the Olympics? I have a feeling it would look something like these Olympics. Everyday people at the Olympics. Here, the difficult shooting competition. I'm going to cut the, uh, the sound because I'll get a, a copyright hit. Look at this. The world of football is covered. In golf, obviously very difficult Olympic sport. You see the trouble he's having there with his... Basketball, there's a tough game for you. What we, oh, ooh. And did he make it? Yes, he gets the basket. Here's another difficult sport of boxing. <laughs> Rugby, always a tough one. Jeez. <laughs> Swimming, now here is an Olympic sport that one can enjoy. And here is the loser athletes in the swimming competition. Archery, another very... <laughs> Tennis, Yo, oops. If everyday people competed in the Olympics, there's the weight weightlifting competition. Oh, ow! That actually looked like it hurt. Skateboarding, yeah, yeah skateboarding is now for the first time an Olympic sport. Uh, gymnastics, here's a tough one, and boom, oh, just missed it. Here's the cycling, <laughs> oops, <laughs> I'm telling you, if, if, here's karate, oh, very nice. Wrestling, okay, that's, yeah, that's a problem. Ah, rowing, another great sport here from the Olympics in the rowing competition. If you're li if you're listening to the podcast, by the way, please do yourself a, a favor. Go <laughs> go over to Rumble. <laughs> go to rumble.com slash J Sheldon No Pants because you have to see you have to see the video part of this ridiculous <laughs> triple jump <laughs> trampoline. Very nice and hockey. This is a <laughs> this is a tough one. <laughs> Table tennis. Oh, it's slow mo. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's how you're s supposed to play that. Ooh, and that looks like it hurt. Ow. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> uh, fencing. Although this looks more like a samurai exhibition, but yeah. Uh, sailing, very nice. I, I'm not sure that's the proper equipment to use for sailing, but there you go. There's Here's that, uh, diff oh, difficult, oh, so much for that camera. Very nice. So there you go, folks. That is what if everyday people and the losers who complain about the losing teams played in the Olympics. <laughs>
Very nice. Very nice. The real Olympics. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Unbelievable. Check that out, please, if you're listening to the podcast. It was purely visual. I'm sorry, but rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. You can watch the, uh, the video refeed of our show. Um, well, once again, Stephen, you have come up with a brilliant post that I wanted to share. It's a quick one, but uh, very, very cool. Um, uh, people trying to, you know, this, this show has a theme tonight. We talked about the losers who were making fun of our Olympic team and complaining about them. And uh, this actually ties into that, um, sort of, but brilliant, uh, whatever the case. And I'm sure you've run across people like this. Trying to hurt me by bringing up my past is like trying to rob my old house. I don't live there anymore. Hmm? Yeah. Again, trying to hurt me by bringing up my past is like trying to get at me by robbing my old house. I don't live there anymore. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Really nice. Thank you, Stephen. You're always sharing the coolest stuff. <laughs> I can always count on you to find little, little tidbits of cool things to stick in the show. So I'm always checking out your page, and I have you prioritized in my feed so I see your stuff. Thank you. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got one more to go, and then we're going to move on to our book. We're continuing on with The Jungle Book is the classic that we've uh, we've been reading, and we will continue to do that tonight. But beforehand, I got, well, I didn't get involved. I was witness to a discussion from a couple of, a few people who were in a group that I was a part of who got on the subject of climate change, and they are... They are psycho cuckoo for climate change. They have bought the whole book, line, and sinker. They're all in on this whole climate change buffalo sandwich. And yes, I am a proud climate change denier. So there you go. Have we stopped calling it global warming, by the way, when that didn't fit your narrative? I think so. Now we've moved on to calling it something else, which is is more fitting because you can't call it global warming anymore. Okay, so uh, I, I saw this and had to share it. <laughs> Go ahead, email me. The email's right there, nopants at jsheldon.com. You want to complain, you want to argue. You can also call me on Skype if you want to. Until you can explain to me how a storm has raged on Jupiter with 900 mile an hour winds for centuries, until you can explain to me the dust storms on Mars, until you can explain to me how Venus became a greenhouse planet, all with no human interference, and until you can explain to me how more than 1,000 years ago, ice more than a mile thick was once found over what we now call Detroit. 
And until you can explain to me how that same mile-thick ice decided to melt all long before industry arrived on the planet, then take your climate change mantra and stuff it. And there you go. I like them bananas. Yes, I am a proud climate change denier, and I will always be. Uh, okay, there you go. Now that I've ticked off half of my audience, and I don't care. Look, it's my show, it's my opinion. You want an opinion that agrees with yours? Then go find a show that, you know, agrees with your opinion. You want to get aggravated about my different opinions? Then come to this show. And by the way, if you'd like, come on the show. I'd be happy to chat with you. We always invite everybody and anybody, however left or right or centrist your opinions may be. That happens to be mine. There you go. All right. <laughs> oh, man. What is in this coffee? I have no idea, but it's good. No, it really is just coffee. It's just coffee. All right. Um, it's, t <laughs> yeah, it's time to move on over and up to the Jungle Book. Uh, okay, hold on a second. I got to go back over here, and then I go back over there. There, because we always like to have the, the cover of Rudyard Kipling's book on screen whenever we, uh, we read our book. So we were at the chapter called The White, the White Seal. And uh, the seal, the baby seal, the white one, uh, had taken off with his mom across the Pacific and was learning all the secrets of the sea from a dolphin and a school of porpoises who were teaching the white seal, the baby white seal, the ways of reading the sea. Uh, and that's where we ended. When the sticky water, which means the equator, and your tail tingles, and you're south. It means there's a gale in front of you, and you must head north. Come along. The water feels bad here. And so tonight, we continue. This was one of the very many things that Kotick learned, and he was always learning. Mata caught him, taught him to follow the cod and the halibut along the undersea banks and wrench the rockling out of his hole among the weeds, how to skirt the wrecks lying a hundred fathoms below the water, and dart like a rifle bullet in at one portal and out at another as the fishes ran, how to dance on top of the waves when the lightning was racing all over the sky, and wave his flippers politely to the stumpy-tailed albatross and the man-of-war hawk as they went downwind, how to jump three or four feet clear off the water like a dolphin, flippers close to his side and tail curved, to leave the flying fish alone because they're all bony, to take the shoulder piece out of a cod at full speed ten fathoms deep, and never to stop and look back at a boat or a ship, but particularly a rowboat. At the end of six months, what Kotick did not know about deep-sea fishing was not worth knowing. And all that time, he never set a flipper on dry ground. One day, however, 
He was lying half asleep in the warm water somewhere off the island of Juan Fernandez. He felt faint and lazy all over, just as human people do when the spring is in their legs, and he remembered the good firm beaches of Novostoshna, seven thousand miles away. The games his companions played, the smell of the seaweed, the seal roar and the fighting. That very minute he turned north, swimming steadily, and as he went on he met scores of his mates, all bound for the same place. And they said, Greeting, Kotick. This year we're all holoshikis, and we can dance the fire dance and the breakers off Lucanon and play in the new grass. But where did you get that coat? Kotick's fur was almost pure white now. And though he felt very proud of it, he only said, Swim quickly. My bones are aching for the land. And so they all came to the beaches where they had been born and heard the old seals, their fathers, fighting in the rolling mist. That night, Kotick danced the fire dance with the yearling seals. The sea is full of fire on summer nights all the way down from Novostoshna to Lucanon and each seal leaves a wake like burning oil behind him, and a flaming flash when he jumps, and he waves break in great phosphorescent streaks and swirls, and then they went inland to the Hakalshiki's ground, and rolled up and down in the new wild wheat, and told stories of what they had done while they'd been at sea. They talked about the Pacific, as boys would talk about a wood that they'd been nutting in. And if anyone had understood them, he could have gone away and made such a chart of that ocean as never was. The three- and four-year-old holoshikis roamed down the, from the Hutchinson Hill, crying, Out of the way, youngsters! The sea is deep, and you don't know all that's in it yet. Wait till you've rounded the horn. Hi, you yearling. Where did you get that white coat? Mm, I didn't get it, said Kotick. It grew. And just as he was going to roll the speaker over, a couple of black-haired men with flat red faces came from behind a sand dune. And Kotick, who'd never seen a man before, coughed and lowered his head. The Hollis chickies just bundled off a few yards and sat, staring stupidly. The men were no less than Carrick Buterin, the chief of the seal hunters on the island, and Patalamon, his son. They came from the little village, not a half mile from the sea nurseries, and they were deciding what seals they would drive up to the killing pens, for the seals were driven just like sheep to be turned into seal-skin jackets later on. Oh, said Patalaman, look, there's a white seal. Carrick Buterin turned nearly white under his oil and smoke. 
for he was an Aleut, and Aleuts are not clean people. They begin to mutter a prayer, Don't touch him, Pantalaban. There has never been a white seal since, since I was born. Perhaps it is old Zaharoff's ghost. He was lost last year in the big gale. Oh, I'm not going near him, said Patalaman. He's unlucky. Do you really think he's old Zaharoff come back? I owe him for some gull eggs. Don't look at him, said Carrick. Head off that drove of four-year-olds. The men ought to skin two hundred today. But it's the beginning of the season, and they're new to the work. A hundred will do. Quick! Patalamon rattled a pair of seal's shoulder bones in front of a herd of hullish chickies, and they stopped dead, puffing and blowing. Then he stepped near, and the seals began to move, and Carrick headed them inland, and they never tried to get back to their companions. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of seals watched them being driven, but they went on playing just the same. Kotick was the only one who asked questions, and none of his companions could tell him anything, except that the men always drove seals in that way for six weeks or two months of every year. I'm going to follow, he said. His eyes nearly popped out of his head as he was shuffling along in the wake of the herd. The white seal is coming after us, cried Patalaban. That's the first time a seal has ever come to the killing grounds alone. Ha! Don't look behind you, said Garrick. It is Zaharov's ghost. I must speak to the priest about this. The distance to the killing grounds was only a half mile, but it took hours to cover, because if the seals went too fast, Carrick knew they'd get heated, and then their fur would come off in patches when they were skinned. So they went on very slowly, past Sea Lion's Neck, past Weber House, till they came to the salt house, just beyond the sight of the seals on the beach. Kotick followed, panting and wondering. He thought that he was at the world's end, but the roar of the seal nurseries behind him sounded as, sounded as loud as the roar of a train in a tunnel. Then Carrick sat down on the moss and pulled out a heavy pewter watch, and let the drove cool off for thirty minutes, and Kotick could hear the fog dew dripping off the brim of his cap. Then ten or twelve men, each with an iron-bound club three or four feet long, came up, and Carrick pointed out one or two of the drove that were bitten by their companions or too hot, and the men kicked those aside with their heavy boots, made of the skin of a walrus's throat. And then Carrick said, Let go! And the men clubbed the seals on the head as fast as they could. Ten minutes later, little Kotick did not recognize his friends anymore, for their skins were ripped off from the nose to the hind flippers, whipped off and thrown down on the ground in a pile. 
and that was enough for Kotick. He turned and galloped. A seal can gallop very swiftly for a short time. Back to the sea. His little new mustache, bristling with horror. At sea lion's neck, where the great sea lions sit on the edge of the surf, he flung himself flipper overhead into the cool water and rocked there, gasping miserably. What's here? said a sea lion gruffly, for as a rule the sea lions keep themselves to themselves. Suchni, Ochen Suchni. I'm lonesome, very lonesome, said Kotick. They're killing all the hollish chickies on the beaches. Sea lion turned his head in shore. Nonsense, he said. Your friends are making as much noise as ever. You must have seen old Carrick polishing off a drove. He's done that for thirty years. It's horrible, said Kotick, backing water as a wave went over him, and steadying himself with a screw-stroke of his flippers that brought him all standing within three inches of a jagged edge of rock. Well done for a yearling said the sea lion, who could appreciate good swimming. I suppose it's rather awful from your way of looking at it, but if you seals will come here year after year, of course the men get to know of it, and unless you can find an island where no men ever come, you will always be driven. Isn't there such an island? began Kotick. Who oh, I've followed the Potus the halibut, for twenty years, and I can't say I've found it yet. But look here, you seem to have a fondness for talking to your betters. Suppose you go to Walrus Inlet and talk to Sevich. He may know something. Don't flounce off like that, it's a six-mile swim. And if I were you, I should haul out and take a nap first, little one. Kotick thought that was... Good advice. So he swam round to his own beach, hauled out, and slept for half an hour, twitching all over, as seals will. And then he headed straight for Walrus Inlet, a little low sheet of rocky island, almost due northeast from Novostoshna. All ledges and rocks and gulls' nests were the walrus herded by themselves. He landed close to old Sevich, the big, ugly, bloated, pimpled, fat-necked, long-tusked walrus of the North Pacific, who had no manners except when he's asleep, as he was then, with his hind flippers half in and half out of the surf. Wake up, barked Kotick, for the gulls were making a great noise. Ha! Pull, Humph! What's that? said Seafitch. And he struck the next walrus with a blow with his tusks and waked him up. And the next struck the next and so on until they were all awake and all staring in every direction except the right one. It's me, said Kotick, bobbing in the surf and looking like a little white slug. 
Well, may I be skinned, said Sivich. And they all looked at Kotick, as you can fancy a club full of drowsy old gentlemen would look at a little boy. Kotick didn't care to hear any more about skinning just then. He'd seen enough of it. So he called out, Is there any place for seals to go where men don't ever come? Go and find out, said Sivich, shifting his eyes. Now run away. We're busy here. Kotick made his dolphin jump in the air and shouted as loud as he could. Clam-eater! Clam-eater! He knew Sivich never caught a fish in his life, but always rooted for clams and seaweed, though he pretended to be a very terrible person. Naturally, the chickies and the groverskies and the epicots, the burgomaster gulls and the kittiwakes and the puffins, who were always looking for a chance to be rude, took up the cry. And, so Limmershin told me, for nearly five minutes, you could not have heard a gun fired on Walrus Island. All the population was yelling and screaming, Clam-eater! Starreek! Old man, while Sivich rolled from side to side, grunting and coughing. Now will you tell, said Kotick, all out of breath. Go and ask the sea cow, said Sivich. If he's willing still, he may be able to tell you. How shall I know sea cow when I meet him, said Kotick, shearing off. He's the only thing in the sea uglier than the Sivich, screamed a burgomaster gull, wheeling under Sivich's nose. Uglier with the worst manners. Starik. Kotick swam back to the Novostoshna, leaving the gulls to scream. And there he found that no one sympathized with him in his little attempt to discover a quiet place for the seals. They told him that men had always driven the holluschicky. It was part of their day's work, and that if he didn't like to see the ugly things... He should not have gone to the killing fields. But none of the other seals had seen the killing, and that made the difference between him and his friends. Besides, Kotick was a white seal. And that's where we will stop for tonight. Wow. This book is different. <laughs> this is still the jungle book, but for some reason we wound up in the sea. So we're, uh, we're about two-thirds of the way through the whole book. We should wrap this up before too long. So yeah, an interesting ride through Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. Amazing. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us for tonight. It is, it is a Monday, isn't it? <laughs> we love Mondays. 
I'll see you again on Wednesday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Thank you for all our listeners on the podcast. Thanks for your downloads and subscriptions. Appreciate that. Patreon.com slash Sheldon is where you can go to help support the show, and we appreciate that if you are so inclined and you wouldn't mind. It, uh, it adds up, and it really means a lot. I will see you on Wednesday night, and until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night.